Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show, I talk to the director of the great new Oasis documentary, Oasis Nebworth 1996. Star of Shane Meadows, This Is England and The Virtues, actress Helen Bean chats to me about her favourite movie. And Mark Ryle has all the week's new releases. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. Just to remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. Big reaction to last week's show when we were Sopranos, the many saints of Newark wall to wall. Uh, Lots of Sopranos fans out there and lots of people enjoyed the show. Most people thought Ray Liotta was cool, which he was. And a lot of people thought David Chase was quite a cranky fellow. But uh, we survived. We lived to tell the tale. And it was a great show. And, you know, I didn't really review the movie last week because I think it was still technically embargoed. But The Many Saints of Newark is out since Wednesday and it is a great gangster movie. The caveat, I suppose, is that it's not a Sopranos film. It's it's a movie taking place before that. So if you're going in expecting a long episode of The Sopranos, you will be disappointed because it's very much its own thing. Now, there are things in there for Sopranos fans and explanations of how things went down, which are fun. But the general thrust of the movie is the story of this guy, Dickie Moltisanti, and his son, Tony, or his nephew, Tony, who would go on to become Tony Soprano. So... It's a great gangster movie, but it's it's not a Sopranos movie per se. It is in one sense. So just caution advice, but I thought it was great. And I'd love to know if you've gotten to see it, because a lot of people tweeted saying they were on their way to see it the very Wednesday it came out. So do let me know. Now, in TV, I just wanted to mention this. Mayor of Town. it seemed to, I don't know, it was this cultural moment and it brought people together and gave them something to talk about other than a global pandemic and I want to thank everyone for watching our show. Brad Inglesby, this is, I can't believe this is happening, this is you. This is all you. You created a middle-aged, imperfect, flawed mother and you made us all feel validated, quite honestly. Now that was Kate Winslet accepting her award for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Limited Series or Anthology Series or Movie for Mayor of Easttown. Now I am delighted. I said on the show, I think a while ago, I thought she should win. I certainly felt she should win because I've banged on about the Mayor of Easttown. So I was delighted to see that she won it because it's it's been the TV show of the year so far, I have to say. Deceit. Neve Algar is a close second, but Mayor of Easttown is the best TV show I've seen this year. So I was delighted she won, and rightly so. The Crown seemed to clean up, so did the Queen's Gambit. Ted Lasso, which I haven't really gotten into, did as well. But uh, I just wanted Kate Winslet to win for Mayor of Easttown, because it's the role of a lifetime and the TV show of a lifetime. And she did, so all is well. Now, of course, in TV, Bake Off was back this week, the adored show, uh, which I watched with my whole family. Is getting into that stage now where we can do family viewing. Well, the three-year-old he was gone to bed but the 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 nine-year-old and the six-year-old and my wife we watched it together and enjoyed it together it's it's nice we're getting into that stage of family viewing you know bake-off is review proof i mean nothing i'm going to say to you will 
change your love for it if that's what you have for it because people just adore that show i like it don't get me wrong but I, i can barely cook and i simply cannot bake i don't know how to raise flour or do any of that stuff so sometimes i think i don't like it as much as other people love it but it, it it's fine warm winter autumn tv it's just to me that being put in that tent and being asked to you know bake scones or gravity free cakes i i, I would sooner attempt neurosurgery or, or attempt to land a Boeing jet. That's how out of my depth I would be in that tent. But uh, it's good TV. There's no doubting about it. The Bake Off is back. And then quickly, I just want to mention Kin, the new RTE drama that started two weeks ago, but we just didn't get a chance to talk about it last week because of all the Sopranos guff that was on, uh, starring people like Aidan Gillen and Claire Don't. It's really good that, that we've already had two episodes about this Kinsella family who are about to go to war with the Cunningham cartel. It's very good, very meaty drama. Dublin looks good in it like sometimes those shows either try and make it too shiny or too grimy but this is on the money that way it's really well acted the only quibble i would have and it's you know barely even a quibble but some of the supposed age differences between characters are just bizarre like people playing people's parents and there appears to be about three years at best between them now maybe it's a covid thing i don't know the actors they could get but all the actors are great but it's just that the age gaps are you know are you my mother you look a lot more like my sister but anyway kin is very good and i'll be watching it all uh, and it's on rte on sunday nights and then really quickly next week we're going to be reviewing the most delayed and anticipated film i think in movie history no time to die the new bond movie And here on News Talk, they're going Bond mad next week and they're celebrating all things about this famous spy. So if you're a James Bond buff, they want to hear from you. Do you consider yourself a super spy or partial to a gadget with hidden abilities? Or maybe you just like martinis, shaken, not stirred. Well, look, if you're a big Bond fan, text 53106 and someone may be in touch. Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. We turn now to the week's new releases, not The Many Saints of Newark, which we were talking about earlier, but to the other new releases. And I'm joined now by Mark Ryle, who was off last week, but he's back this week. Things have mended down for him. The transplant worked. So uh, full steam ahead, Mark. How are you? was bumped for David Chase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. It, it's not that you weren't around. It's just I didn't have room for you. I'm awfully sorry. <laughs> That's fine. You know? I mean, But like, you know, when Ray Liotta calls, what are you going to do? I mean, I can't argue with that, really. Yeah. You notice when I said transplant, I didn't say transplant of what? So let's keep it vague, you know? Could be anything. You Absolutely, know? <laughs> yeah. So listen, we're talking this week uh, about The Green Knight with yeah. Dev Patel, and also which is in cinemas from this Friday, and also a movie also released this Friday on Netflix, The Starling, as in The Bird with Melissa McCarthy. Let's start with The Green Knight, and I should say, I actually, because of the busy few weeks I've had, I didn't get to this, so tell us what's going on with The Green Knight. Right, well, this has, it's a funny one because it had a theatrical release in the US back in July, but on this side of the pond, the distributor pulled it from the schedule at the last minute. So it's kind of, it's weird. It's, it's, and now it's getting a limited cinema release and it's also streaming at the, at the same time, two months after it was out in, in, over in the US. Anyway, 
as I'm sure you're aware, John, it's it's based on an anonymous text that dates back to the, the late 14th century. And um, yeah, it does bring back very unpleasant memories of, from college of having to wade through Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. And um, that's just me. Uh, I suppose I should, I'll tell you what our, it's about. Our, our theory and legend and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, it is set in the, the court of uh, King Arthur and Dev Patel is Gowan, who is, I suppose he's a bit of a, an aimless good time Charlie for want of a better expression. And on Christmas Day, this ghostly half-man, half-tree green knight rides into the court of the king and offers a wager, which is if someone can strike the knight down in battle, then his weapon becomes theirs. But then in a year's time, the winner has to go and find the knight and allow him to strike the victor down in return. Now, all of Arthur's knights look at each other and just go, nope, not doing it. But Gowan steps up and decapitates the knight. So needless to say, Gowan's next Christmas isn't going to be great. (laughs) Now, we've seen, you know, various versions of King Arthur and the Green Knight and all that uh, throughout the ages and plays on it. In fact, I've told you before, the first movie I ever saw was The Spaceman and King Arthur, which was, you know, based around the same stuff, but there's various tellings of it. Do we need another kind of movie from that era, the Middle England Arthurian legend stuff? That's gas. I saw The Spaceman and King Arthur as well. Um, I know your pain. Uh, Yeah, I mean, David Larry, he's he's a a very good filmmaker. He's got a very varied body of work from uh, going all the way back to Ain't Them Body Saints to he did the Disney remake of Pete's Dragon, which was mm-hmm. quite well received for those yeah. kind of things. He yeah. also did the utterly brilliant A Ghost Story yes. um, with, with Casey Affleck. 2017. Great movie. Yeah, wandering around sad with a, a sheet over his head. Um yeah, it is it's subtitled a chivalric romance, right? And you might be disappointed with the complete lack of either chivalry and or romance. But that is the thing with Middle English. I think if you go if you go back far enough, the, the the past is definitely a foreign country, and you know go back far enough, and it it ceases to become literature, and you're kind of getting into the realm of archaeology, um, or myth, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I find mi- Middle English very very hard to get through. I'll start by talking though about the positives in this. Um, the Green Knight, it, it's a gorgeous looking movie. It was shot in Ardmore and around the Wicklow Mountains mm-hmm. and were used for the exterior uh, locations. The costumes and the art direction are fantastic and the interior court scenes at, towards the beginning, they're very moody and atmospheric and then the, the exterior scenes have been they've been shot with this kind of desaturated colour palette that makes you, you, you feel the weather and it's either grey and misty or grey and overcast that's, that's it. Um, there's also this creepy weird to this that at times is extremely eerie and haunting and I think that it is at its best when it leans into that weirdness it reminded Mm. me a a bit of some of Ben Wheatley's stuff I suppose specifically a field in England Mm -hmm. where you know that that thing where nature becomes another protagonist yeah um yeah, Dev Patel, he's he's really good in it. He's got that arrogance of youth disguising it, kind of a mess of insecurities and self-doubt. Sean Harris is in it as well. He's the king and he's 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 really menacing. Um even when he's he's supposed to be being benevolent and pleasant, he's he he seems quite threatening. Okay. Um the thing uh, and now let's look at the, <laughs> the not so great aspects of this. It is very, very bitty and episodic and fractured. And the story is broken up into these little vignettes with chapter intertitles. And they don't flow well from one sequence to the next. Um, There's not a through line 
to, that would pull you through. And it makes the whole thing quite a laborious viewing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I often felt like I was being dragged through it, you know, rather than the storing pulling me along with it. Okay. I fa- yeah. And I, I gather it's quite, I read one review suggesting that it was quite psychedelic in places. There is, that's the weirdness, yeah. Um, ben Wheatley, as I said, yeah, it is kind of, there's aspects of that. And I, like, I enjoyed those, those, those bits mm-hmm. of it. Um, but um, here's the thing, right? It doesn't make a lick of sense. Okay. <laughs> and my biggest problem with The Green Knight is suspension of disbelief. I have no idea why the hell anyone would, would agree to a wager as nonsensical as this one. Um, even in the context of a fairy tale legend, mm-hmm. um, I, I let you chop my head off, but in a year's time, you have to drag yourself halfway across the country and let me chop your head off. And and Dev Patel jumps up and says, yeah, I'll do that. Um, so when things start to go a bit sideways for Gowan and they, they do go sideways, it's very difficult to get behind them. Yeah. And you just go, well, you asked for this, pal, you know. And the bulk of the movie is a quest um, except there doesn't seem to be any logic or reason behind that quest. And who's it aimed at? I mean, it's it's an adults movie, right? It is an adults movie. No, it, it, no, it's it's certainly not. Like if you're <laughs> if you're if you're um, you know missing great Game of Thrones, I don't think um, yeah, I don't think the Green Knight is going to fill that gap for you. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of it doesn't. It's not a a rigid adaptation of the text because that would just be completely yeah. unwatchable um but yeah it's very very dry um, so are they being faithful to like it's middle it, englishness and that's part of the problem as well they're not trying to make an adventure movie and, and maybe that's what they oh, should it's be doing no it's, it's not an adventure movie okay. in any way shape or form um it's kind of, it's very much a24 if that makes any sense a24 the the studio that that that, that made it and um it's very much one of those types of movies if anyone if you're familiar with a24 so, will... so but a24 for people who don't know you're suggesting that it's quite cerebral and yes it is yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's not it's not it's not an adventure movie no i was just thinking dev patel the last thing i saw him in and i was actually in the cinema with you when david i saw copperfield yeah. yeah the personal history of david copperfield like you have to applaud dev patel's choices He's... Yeah, no, he's do, he does make some. He, he he's 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 doing good work when when he's mm. not doing stuff like the the best exotic marigold hotel yeah. or or indeed the second best exotic marigold hotel. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, no, he does. He, he does he, he's doing good work. Yeah. So he's good in this. It looks great, but it was just too episodic and didn't make a huge amount of sense and dragged you along. So am I sensing you're going to give this a two? No, I'm actually going to give it a three and a half. Whoa, because wow. it's a good looking movie, but it's just, it's a bit hollow. Okay. Okay. I didn't think you were going to give it three and a half. That's three and a half now in cinemas, but also streaming where exactly? Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Okay. But it might be worth a view in the cinema. I mean, if it looks it's, that good. It's a stunning looking movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. Well, that's the green night. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it. However, I had to go to two screenings in one day last week. Isn't that? I know people are going, poor me. First uh, world problem. Yeah. Oh, big time. That's top of the list there. But anyway, the other movie we're going to talk about this week is let's take a quick clip of it. So she came to you for help because, because you're her shrink, but in a vet form. (laughs) Okay. She came to talk. 
And I'm afraid I just didn't do a very good job with that. Then why are you here? I told you. So that you would... I, I'm asking oh, you... Oh, you're here for yourself. Yes. Okay. You came here to make you feel better. Well, you did it. We talked, so... Feel better. A clip there from The Starling, which is landing on Netflix this Friday. And there you heard Chris O'Dowd and Kevin Klein. So, Mark, uh, this is on Netflix. As I say, this is an unusual film. Is it? <laughs> I, I think it is. As in, it really, I don't, I haven't seen much stuff like this. I'm not saying I loved it or anything, but it's oh. it's unusual. Will you tell people quickly what's going on in it? Sure, yeah, yeah. M- uh, Melissa McCarthy and Chris O'Dowd, um, they're a couple who are mourning the death of their only child. And a year after that, that that tragic event, they're both trying and failing to to deal with the with the trauma. He is being treated in a psychiatric hospital, and she is struggling to keep things going on the outside. And for reasons that don't even make sense in the bizarre internal logic of the movie, uh, Melissa McCarthy ends up talking about her problems to a vet played by Kevin Klein, who used to be a therapist. And she also has an aggressive starling terrorizing her in her in her garden. I can't be sure, but I think the starling might be a metaphor. Yeah, and I think it, it, it's meant to be left open there. I was talking to Kieran on the hard shoulder, and he was saying a kind of Charlie Kaufman vibe with a you know a bird, and she has to defend herself against this bird. But it's not very Charlie Kaufman esque. It's fair we, to say we we saw a different movie. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm saying that that's what he pointed out. Okay. Uh, but the Ke- the Kevin Klein thing. I mean, she's recommended she go see him because Kevin Klein may possibly be able to, because her problem is partly this bird, which may be a metaphor or not. There's a logic, I would suggest, in the fact that she's going to see a vet who used to be a therapist. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll I'll let you have that. Okay. (laughs) Right. Well, I'm sensing you really didn't like this. No, it's not. It's not good at all. Um, it, It desperately wants to be a tearjerker and it fails miserably. Um, because it goes about it in the most cack-handed manner. The premise, right, is certainly very sad, but there's there's not a shred of genuine emotion anywhere for me. It just lacks all feeling. And the script pushes all the relevant buttons, but it's, it's it goes about it so blatantly. Um, and when you can see the guy behind the curtain working the levers, it kind of rules, ruins the illusion. I hear what you're saying. Let me add one or two little caveats to that. You see... What I liked is maybe overstating it, but what I found interesting about it was the idea of losing a child is obviously horrific. And we've seen that play out in in lots of movies, particularly of late from everything like Pieces of a Woman to Manchester by the Sea. Mm. And I thought this movie was trying to do something slightly different and upend that in that, first of all, it's a year later. And it's also, so things have moved on a bit and they've put Chris O'Dowd's character in free fall because usually, and I'm not saying this is right, but usually it's portrayed as the woman who's in free fall. So when the movie starts, Chris O'Dowd is in this mental health facility and it's Melissa McCarthy who's attempting to get on about it. Also, I did get what they were going for with this starling that's attacking her while she's trying to fix the garden. It is some... I guess maybe, or maybe not Freudian metaphor or oh, Hitchcockian yeah, but... thing with the birds. So I, I appreciated the attempt and they were trying to be a tearjerker, but once or twice 
it was quite sad. And finally, I did like Kevin Klein as, as the reluctant therapist. I didn't love it, but it was a curiosity. Mm, I, do, I think Kevin Klein should know better. And uh, no, it was just so blatant. I mean, the 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 the, the, the bird and you know uh, the the garden growing. Uh, it's it's mawkish sentimentality. It's the defining characteristic <laughs> here. And it, it, I'm trying, like, it, I'm trying not to describe it as a Hallmark Channel movie. Um, but the, the director, Theodore Melfi, he seems to have set out to make a Hallmark Channel movie. And the, the montages, we need to talk about the montages. I think there's, I don't know how many of them, but they were endless. McCarthy bringing a vegetable garden back to life. McCarthy clearing out her child's bedroom. All with this, this cheesy, inspirational uh, American. It sounded like Christian rock over the top. The only thing I, I was missing was Coldplay, you know? <laughs> Oh dear. See, I, I thought occasionally it strayed away from mawkishness and was trying to do something a little different. I actually think this is a movie that's going to be panned by a lot of people, but I think it might find a quiet home uh, in some people's affections, to be honest. I, well, I wish it would go and find a quiet home. Um, <laughs> One that you didn't live in. <laughs> near me. I think you might be tempted because of Melissa McCarthy and Chris O'Dowd. Yeah. But in my opinion, um, there's none of that edge that you would usually associate with them. And both McCarthy and O'Dowd can usually make pearls out of weak dialogue, you know, through their, their this natural gift for delivering a line. But it's not the case here. It's it's more or less played very straight. I would love to know uh, if anyone's watched this yet, because it's if you're listening on the radio, it was released yesterday, the 24th of September. Uh, I'd love to know if you might have seen it. John underscore Fardy is the Twitter handle, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. So, Mark, the starling on Netflix, what would you say stars wise? I am going to give it a two. OK, so I'm going to give it a two as well. Because mm-hmm. I didn't like it, but I, I thought there were aspects of it that but you, I... But you were, you were nicer about it than I was. I guess I was, but we're giving... See, I thought you were going to give it a one, but... I think, no, there's, there's a million of these movies out there already, and it feels like I've, I've seen all of them. Fair enough. Okay. Well, as I say, get in touch, listeners, if you've happened to watch The Starling or you're planning to... There's millions of movies out there like that, Mark claims. There's only one Mark Ryle. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Thanks, John. Up next, we go back to Nebworth with Oasis in 1996. Screen Time on News Talk. Now, you're welcome back to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy. This is News Talk's TV and movie show. Now, take a listen to this. This is history. This is history. Right here, right now. It was like a calling to us as Oasis fans. It was that sort of moment in history where you had to be there. The biggest gig that's ever been seen in the UK. The energy pulsating through the crowd was unbelievable. We were getting closer and closer, and the buzz was getting bigger and bigger. The build-up to it was just immense. It was just electric. Life couldn't have got any better. I've got my boyfriend, got a lukewarm, semi-flat, plastic beaker full of lager, and I'm singing my heart out. Yes, 
The Brothers Gallagher. That's a clip of a new documentary which was in cinemas, is in cinemas this Thursday, Thursday just gone the 23rd, called Oasis Nebworth 1996. Now you may be aware of these two legendary gigs that Oasis did at the venue Nebworth where other people like Led Zeppelin and played. And they played to a quarter of a million people over two nights. They were just legendary gigs. Oasis were at the absolute top of the mountain at this stage after only two albums and i remember at the time these gigs being huge and not that not that many irish people went i'm I'm sure some of you out there did listening but in the uk it it was estimated you know a, a, a pretty large minority of the population had actually applied for tickets that's how big these gigs were and how big oasis were and it was a time when the brothers gallagher were still getting on with each other and enjoying their fame. Now, what's great about this documentary is it's a concert video of sorts because you've lots of footage of the gig and the two nights at the gig and the boys are in top form, but it's told primarily from fan recollection and fan footage and footage of the actual event. So there's no talking heads. The only talking heads are occasionally Noel Gallagher and and a small bit of Liam, but fans, fans who were there. And what comes across is how devoted these fans were to this band and how, in a way, people felt Oasis spoke for them, particularly you know, working class people. And there's gorgeous stories from fans driving all night, hitching lifts, people who felt their life was beginning at this gig, people who had their own traumas in life. There's some absolutely gorgeous stories. And of course, you have at its centre this amazing performance by Oasis who were never as good after that. Uh, And they were just brilliant on those two nights. This has all been turned into a documentary, as I say, called Oasis Nebworth 1996. And it's directed by Jake Scott, who happens to be the son of Ridley Scott. That's of no real consequence. Only, I guess you would say, the apple not falling far from the tree. Jake primarily made his name in music videos and made all sorts of famous videos for people like U2 and R.E.M. And he directed the video for Everybody Hurts by R.E.M., one of the greatest music videos ever, if you ask me. And he's gone on to do features and things, but as I say, music video is where he made his bones, as they say in the mafia. So I had a chat with Jake Scott earlier in the week. So, Jake, I, I really enjoyed the movie and I really like the way the fans are kind of, you know, as, as big a part of it as the two brothers on the stage and, and mm. the stories of mm. them. And, you know, I, I'm an Everton fan for my sins and they're often referred to as the people's team. And I got the yes. sense Oasis are kind of like the people's band. And even though I'm an Oasis fan, I hadn't thought about it in that way. What, what, were the fans the key to this for you? That was kind of the way to get into it? I mean, exactly right. You know, I, I thought it was a it was a big moment in the mid nineties there. You know, and um, and and Oasis had its massive uh, fan base, and in a, in a in a way, you know, they don't, you don't really lump them in with the Britpop movement. You know, they they did they sort of carved out a, a, a big niche for them, a big you know big niche for themselves. I think, and um, um, they had devoted fan fans and looking at the footage that was shot over that weekend I was just really inspired by the what I 
perceived as being this this very strong voice, you know, the, the voice of the fans. And that, that there was this sort of um, almost circular, like symbiotic relationship between the stage and the, and and that crowd, that 125,000 people all singing along, you know. Yeah. And it, it, it just it just felt like the right way to go about it rather than interviewing the celebrities that are in, on the VIP list, you know. Absolutely. It was, it, you know, it was much more, it was really soulful that way, I think. And, that, you know, when we were able to talk to the fans, you know, the 17 or so fans that we did interview, you know, we did it by selecting them from a, you know, obviously there was a, there was a, there was a big, a, a net was cast and we, we we had a lot of fans uh, uh, offer their, their their accounts and stories, and these were the these seventeen I think it is seventeen stories were the ones that really had emotional value, you know. Mm. And I, I think for a lot of people that were there, it was an inc- incredibly emotional thing, you know. It was yeah. it was a high point for a lot of people, you know. And it, it, I I wanted that to come across in the film, yeah. Yeah, it certainly does. And there's some beautiful stories about a brother and sister uh, whose whose brother the brother of which tragically died not too long yeah, after yeah. a guy talking about in a way this was the intro to his life life was going to be yes, right yeah after this gig yeah, it was amazing yeah. and you know another thing i was struck by when i was watching it was here's you know one hundred and twenty-five thousand people each night <clears throat> and they're just in essence standing there i mean there's no lean doesn't dance Noel doesn't go in for, you know, Keith Richards swinging his arms into the guitar. And yet the whole place is enthralled and it, it's pumping. I guess in a way it's a testament to how great and anthemic those songs are. Or what's your take on that? It was actually, to me, interesting how funny they were, the brothers, you know, <laughs> yeah. how, how funny Liam is. And he's, and he, he's, he's you know, he's, he's enjoying those nights. You can see it. Um, and the musicianship, I think, the quality of the musicianship is spectacular. Um, the whole band are, are, are you know, really shit hot. Um, and, you know, I think the fans were, the Noel's lyrics really were speaking the same language as mm. the fans. And I think that, that, that his lyrics really resonated with this massive audience. And that's why I think that in some ways they stand alone in terms of the, the 90s guitar bands at that time. Mm. Um, and I think that those words that resonate with the, with, with the audience, it's, it's evident. You know, there's, as you call them, anthems. Yes, they're mm. anthems, but they're, they're, there's an emotional connection that all those men and women, girls and boys have in that crowd. And you can see it on their faces. They know every word. And they're really engaged. They're really connected to it. Yeah. Um, and I think I think he was speaking for whether it's cigarettes and alcohol, or look, don't look back at anger, or uh, live forever is one of my my favourite moments. Champagne supernova. You know these yeah. these these are now classics. He was speaking as as the fans felt it. You know. Mm, yeah. Um, and I and I think at that time, you know, there was a sense of renewed optimism. You had, you know, we we nearly done really well in the football. Brit, you know, had Britpop, obviously, but then you had this kind of new renaissance in a way, um, and the sense of opportunity and possibility. The Labour Party were about to come in, mm. and I think I think that for a lot of people, younger people, they felt 
maybe heard for the first time. Yeah. yeah. And you, you mentioned the brothers. They're, they're both mm. listed as executive producers. And, you know, I know this business, a bit. Mm. sometimes mm. that can just mean they signed a check or so how involved were they in this one? Well, I mean, they were both involved, you know, they, they know I interviewed personally um, and he gave me a whole afternoon really mm-hmm. and was really, you know, candid and really open and it was fantastic interview. I, I couldn't, I wish I could use more of it. Yeah. Um, but he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a clever man, you know, and he's got a very interesting viewpoint of things. And, um, but musically they were both involved, you know, and to some extent they made, you know, they made some comments on the, on the cut that I first presented, but nothing really that was, um, there was nothing that was really, uh, it was, it was more a question of tone, and I think they they just wanted to play down some of the laddish stuff. Yeah. Um, which which I appreciate, you know. Yeah. Um, the but musically they were Noel maybe more so than Liam were was really involved in that. And okay. um, you know, and it was a very good mix, a very, very well recorded. If you see yeah. it in a big, you know, in a cinema, which yeah. I highly recommend. The mix is is fantastic. But um yeah, they were great to work with. They were both great to work with. And I you really know, enjoyed it. The obvious question I have to ask, I presume you didn't sit them both down together, right? I mean, that's still off the cards. No, 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 no. Yeah. They, they, well, Liam, Liam didn't um, submit to an interview, but uh, just a personal choice there. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And I think he felt maybe Noel speaking was enough, but also my sense, I'm speaking, you know, maybe speaking out of turn, but... I think for Liam, it's sort of let the film speak for itself, let the performance speak for yeah. itself. He says that one thing at the end, which, which you know, I think sums it up for him. And he's not one to look back. You know, he's doing well with, with, with his touring at the moment, yeah. you know, and, um, and probably very much in the present mm. with that. Not yeah, to yeah. say Noel isn't too, but Noel, Noel, I think, wanted to speak to the fans and speak to, to the times. And... Uh, and a very articulate uh, voice in that. You know, another thing I was struck by, you were saying how funny they were, but they, at that stage, certainly, they really enjoyed each other's company and they had a great stage presence between them. Like there was mm, two exactly. and two equals yeah. five with them. Like we forget that because of all the supposed yeah. and reported rancor that comes afterwards, but they were well, like, really, yeah. they were really enjoying each other's company, certainly on that stage mm. of both those nights. I mean that 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 you the rancor exactly it, it, that's for the tabloids you know and that, yeah. I think I was that I wasn't interested in that really it didn't oh, it I didn't know. it wasn't a, it wasn't about that and it was so evident in the footage I mean there's tons of footage and they were good just good fun you know the two brothers having a laugh mucking mm. about as they call yeah. it you know and then they're up there mucking about and then there's two lads in the crowd one of them there was there was one uh, fan that said and there's me and my brother in the crowd mucking about too yeah. you know it's it, it it and it was an in, there's an innocence about that and there's uh the two of them clearly on top of the world you know and you think to play to that i mean they they basically beat led zeppelin out you know yeah. that was that the led zeppelin held the record for the biggest crowd but you know i think it was like five percent of the popular british population applied for, uh, for tickets, tickets yeah like two, yeah 2.6 million people 
So that's significant. And you know, they really they haven't been around that long. They're only two albums in. You know, they had main they had Main Road back in April of that year, I think, and that was a fraction of what uh, what Nebworth was. But they 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 they're not. They seem unfazed by it, don't they? Yeah. They seem like totally at ease on stage. No evident nervousness, and Liam's all over the shop, and, he, and he's <laughs> he's dancing, and he's and he's also acting the he, he's like the class clown at times. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah it's no, great fun to watch. It's great fun to work on. I can imagine. I can imagine. Tell me this, just briefly away from the movie. I, I have to ask you this because it's you. You make, or certainly in the past, have made a lot of iconic music videos, and I'm sure you've been asked Thank this you. a fair bit. But I, everybody hurts. Uh, by OREM it's a fantastic video and obviously it's a fantastic song when you were sent the song did you think mm. I have something special here or did you you know it was a gig I have to make a video no problem pay me the money or what was your sense when you got the song it was yeah yeah I mean listen the song I got it on a cassette tape that's how remember those was. yeah yeah and it was funny I was I was already had been living in, in California in Los Angeles for for about a couple of years at that point um and i've i had a you know was had this real love for joshua tree in the yeah. desert, and i still go out and uh i thought i got this tape it was a friday afternoon I thought, i'm gonna go to the desert for the weekend this just feels right i'm gonna go to joshua tree and i'm gonna drive out there i'm gonna listen to it over and over again over this weekend because you know of course joshua tree is where graham parsons died right and for me, that everybody hurts. There's a little bit of a country thing to it, you know, mm. a little bit of a country thing to it, and 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 very different to really stood out at the time. A ballad like that, um, very beautiful song, very 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 beautiful song, and it was a gift, you know. It was it, you knew I knew it was a gift. It was a mm. fantastic band. Again, at the height of their really the height of their their career um careers and losing my religion was the last big video mm -hmm. and i was i was following that really it was it was the album that came after you know automatic to the people but it was a yeah i mean listen you you'd be a fool not to realize that was a gift <laughs> yeah um, absolutely yeah yeah, well, you did a great job with it. And listen, I, Thank you. I, you're probably regularly asked about your father, and I don't want to ask you anything about him. You'll be pleased to hear because I'm talking to you. But one can't help. <laughs> Thank but be, you. <laughs> one can't help but be fascinated by the fact that you now do the same or a very similar job to him. Do you think this stuff yeah. is genetic or is it that you were around him all your young life or is it a combination of both or? I don't know that it's genetics so much as it was a, an education coming up, you know, um, and it's, it's a seductive business, you know, you, yeah. I fought it for a while, you know, I, I, yeah. I resisted it, but um, I, my love was music, you know, my entry into it after I was working, I think what people think, you know, when you have a dad like that, that you're given everything and, you know, everything's sort of handed to you. It's not the case. My dad's got very sort of, northeastern valleys you know he's yeah. you know it's about it's about hard work you know and um so luckily we had a we had a dad like that with parents like that that pushed us and i was working on sets as a runner very at a very young age so i it was by osmosis really you yeah. know and, and, and watching him watching him work but 
art's a big thing in the family you know art's a big thing at the home um we all the genetic thing of that, that is running through right through to my kids and my eldest daughters in, in the next room here she's a really gifted artist you know is is that we can all draw it's weird okay. it's like it, it's a that's a genetic thing we we all have this ability to draw and to yeah. put you know make a mark my uncle too my mother we were all we we're all good at visualizing on paper and on canvas you know so that may be a genetic thing i think the osmosis part of it is just being on sets and watching him work and mm. being lucky enough to 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 observe that yeah. um but as i say you know music was my i had a sort of fascination for music uh, uh, and um i kind of toyed with the idea of forming a band um did not very well um and music videos were the was were, yeah, obviously I, when i was coming up music videos were exploding you know mid 80s yeah. and that's where i sort of saw that as the opportunity you know like oh i can do something with music and film this is good mm. this isn't this is this is a a place i can you know find a voice and it was great you know so i'm really lucky i was really fortunate to to have that opportunity but uh, uh, no I, I, I you know it's a it's a family business i mean I always say it's a bit like, you know, when you see the butchers, you know, it's like Scott and Sons or solicitors or, you know, it's this, it's this family business. Yeah. You know? Well, look, God bless those genes. Uh, the movie is fantastic. And I would agree with what you say. It deserves to be seen in a cinema because it's, it, it's, it's about music. and The music sounds great on that big screen. So thanks a lot for talking to me, uh, Jake, and continued success. Great. Thank, thank you so much. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, great. Jake Scott there talking to me about, well, his life and times, but ostensibly Oasis Nebworth 1996, which is in cinemas from this Thursday, the 23rd of September. And it is a great music documentary and the music sounds fantastic in it. If you are an Oasis fan, you won't want to miss it. It is manna from heaven from you. And if you're not, it's a really interesting slice of, you know, Britannia in the mid 90s. Up next, acclaimed actress Helen Behan on her favourite movie. Screen Time on News Talk. Now you're listening to Screen Time, News Talk's TV and movie show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well known about their favourite movie. And I'm delighted now to be joined by Irish actress Helen Behan to chat about her favourite movie and a bit more besides. Helen, how are you? I'm very well, John. Thanks very much for having me. My pleasure. Now, everyone who does this slot, there's always a bit of back and forth going, oh, I can't choose. There's too many movies. Everyone says that. So you're no different. But what movie did you actually decide we were going to talk about today? I landed on, and I'm very happy I did land on it because uh, it's possibly the best film ever, and that is The Lives of Others. And why is it one of, or possibly the best film ever? Tell our listeners. So it it, it is a basic overview. It is about this um, Stasi operative who is... Uh, um, a very staunch operator, very by the book, and goes uh, um, to investigate a subversive playwright, uh, Georg Dreiman, and um, bugs his flat because they think he's, you know, not loyal. And and this is all in East Berlin East in Berlin, the sorry. early 80s or whatever. Or absolutely, right? before the fall of the wall and all of that. Yeah. When I just didn't want people thinking it was Betty's town or anything. <laughs> Could be mistaken, but no, no. Um, and it, it's just set in this very, very bleak, grey, 
awful post-war time and what emerges is humanity and uh, something so beautiful this this guy uh, on kind of becoming privy to the lives of these people living in this flat this this um playwright and his girlfriend through his own loneliness and his own kind of isolation and his very kind of awful life that that he becomes compassionate and um um, um, empathetic towards them and um, helps them out and it's just the most beautifully whole, soulful hopeful movie it's a stunning film and if you haven't watched it, you should <laughs> and it's also heartbreaking at times is my memory of it, and I don't want to give any spoilers or anything but there are certain moments where you know there would not be, not that it's like the Shawshank Redemption or anything as no, in, which was, but a, it's, was on my list once upon a time but I mean it's an ever evolving question but I don't think the, the, the impact of this movie will, will never leave me I mean there's a moment where he's in a lift, it's a beautiful scene and he has just began to to uh, um, you know begin his operation on, on this playwright and, and bug the apartment and all of that stuff and he set up shop in the attic upstairs to listen and and report back but there's a moment I think it's one of the first moments that we kind of see as humanity but Ulrich Mua I mean I did German for a long time I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly who I just learned today had passed I didn't know and what a loss that was such a stoic beautiful actor and even though he gives nothing away. You you can tell he emanates this kind of empathy and sympathy. And this little kid kicks the ball into uh, the lift where Herr Wiesler is in the lift. And the little kid looks up to him and he says, um, is it true that you're in the Stasi? And he says, do you even know what the Stasi is? And the kid says, oh, my dad says it's this terrible organization. And, you know, they're awful mm. people. And he begins to say, give me your father's name. And instead he says, give me the name of your football. And the kid says, you're stupid. You know, footballs don't have names. In that moment, he decides if I if I do my job, which is my impulse to do, this kid will be left with no dad. And it's just it's such a simple little thing. But it's it's that you see his humanity you see his it's hard to imagine in that time with everything that was going on and it's so well set the scene is so beautiful the the whole movie that you just you think oh god this guy is going to you know pull them all down and instead it's just this really hopeful beautiful I mean, I could talk all day about this movie. Yeah. Well, do you know what? We did a, a thing a couple of weeks ago, best movie endings of all time. And I'd actually forgotten about, there's a glorious ending at this. Oh. I, I just love the way it ends. But we won't we won't get into that because that would be a spoiler. But your takeaway is if anyone hasn't seen this, they you should, should watch it. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. It's, well, thank you for narrowing it down. What were you going to say? Sorry. It, the, 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 it, it's that that ending gets me I, I, to tears uh, every time. Every yeah, time. no, I know. I, I, I wish I could. Yeah, anyway, watch it, watch it, watch it. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the key message. Watch the lives of others. Mm-hmm. I was gonna, I was gonna butcher the German title of it, but you can instead. It's I'll days. Tell you, it's called Das Leben der anderen. There you there go. You go. There you go. And you yeah. should watch it because it is yes. wonderful. wonderful. Listen, Helen, thank you for that. You've told this story many times. So <laughs> give me give me the top line one really quickly, just so people know. People know you from things like This Is England 88 and the wonderful show, The Virtues, that I want to ask you about in a second. But yeah. 
you, you and, and and over to you, but tell it as quickly as you like because you've told it ad nauseum. But basically, oh, you approached you approached Shane Meadows in a pub one night, yes. and that's how your acting career began, right? Yes, young doll meets director in pub, asks for job, gets job, and the rest is history. That's the quickest I've ever told it. I there did, you go. That, the rest is history. I, I'll tell you, it is because of his humanity and willingness to help out a fellow soul and you know the soundness of him that that he was kind of entertaining me at all that night he he was just great crack and it, I saw a chance John and I took yeah. it and I mean the worst thing he could have said was no and he didn't and uh, yeah he gave me a chance he pulled me up and after that it, you know when he'd seen there was more potential there than I'd seen he said, I know you've more, I know you've more. And he, you know, anyone else would say, right, you've had your shot, you pissed yeah. it away, good luck. But he he had faith and he um, is a wonderful, wonderful man. And he, he nurtured me really is the right thing to say. I mean, he used to let me sit at the monitors and watch what was going on and explain to me because I was, you know, green behind the ears, not a clue mm. what was going on. Trying just not to vomit on everybody was my <laughs> but he really took care of me. And then when there was an opportunity for me to advance, he'd say, here's Helen, meet her. You know, he put me in yeah. front of people. He helped me to get an agent. To, I can't, um, I won't hear a bad word said about him. Well, you won't hear any on this show. <laughs> now, listen, I have banged on to my listeners for the last two years about the virtues uh, as well as the lives of others I think everyone should watch the virtues I've spoken to Neve Algar, Mark and and I I bring it up with all of them it's just one of the, it's a unique piece of television and and for all sorts of reasons but one of the most unique things about it is that I felt yourself, Neve and Mr. Graham weren't acting like genuinely, it felt like you were watching a documentary or you'd gone into someone's house mm-hmm. in Ireland. That was that was what was so different about it. The mm-hmm. whole way through, not just at times, but throughout the whole four episodes. It's, yeah. it's incredible. And and it's st- and it stayed with me in a way that I don't think any other or, or very few things have, and it would occasionally even now pop into my head moments mm-hmm. of it where Stephen's trying to get the ferry and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, how did he get uh, this is Shane Meadows. That organicness. How was it? A different type of set. His sets are always different types of sets. I've never. I mean, I, if somebody asked me once, do you, you know, how will you continue having started at that that level? And I kind of laughed at the time, but they were right. I mean, the schooling was just so immense. He doesn't want anything that's not the truth. And very mm. rarely in television have you the luxury to spend the time, but. Hours before, hours in rehearsals, you know, the, the the prep period for that is so exhaustive. You go down every possible avenue and then when you're sniffing at something that smells like it might be the right thing, he tells you, hold on to that now and wait. And the set, you feel so supported and so... That he, he the, and and uh, um, Jack Thorne, who's our wonderful co-writer on that, they they're just so uh, um, uh, accommodating. 
for for it to be for it to sound like you and so when you as an actor when you don't have the restriction of uh, it's it not it's by the way now just to correct you there when you're not looking at every syllable and you can let it come out then it comes out when you're given the freedom to do that you react as you would and so the 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 rehearsal process I've ad nauseum this as well uh, um it's so it, it, there's a catharsis in it there's a therapy in it he he he's very clever he finds out what makes you tick personally and then he kind of revs you up and lets you loose basically mm-hmm. and so it, and I mean it's very hard to get work done some days because of all the laughing which sounds like an extraordinary thing once you've seen that <laughs> there was any laughter on it but in between takes he's cracking the wise and you know you just feel so comfortable you just feel so uh, he, he's very 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 unique and uh, it, they're incredibly rare those type of directors in my it, I, I've worked with some fabulous directors I've been incredibly lucky there is nothing like his set because you're given the freedom to move with it to alter it still with the holding the story but but at the time to express and the time like what would you do in this situation you know what so when it, you say it didn't feel like acting it wasn't in that everything I did was my expression of that moment yeah. which is how it should be but it's just it's what he allows because there isn't the time there isn't the budget mm-hmm. on a lot of projects to do any of that you stand on your yeah. mark and deliver your stuff but it's what makes his uh, um his project so special is that you do feel you're intruding on a private conversation and it's that sense of theater in television these very long shots that are sitting where nothing really is happening except real life which is so important you know there's always a we've to cut to another shot we've to cut to another shot no sit with the actors faces that's how as an audience member you become invested in in their reactions and their problems and because you're left sit just that slightly little bit too long and then you get drawn in and I think that's what makes his project stand apart is that he's not afraid to just let life happen yeah well they're certainly unique listen we're running out of time because as you warned me you talk a lot which is a good thing for radio I'm not complaining. <laughs> Finally, then I, you know, during lockdown was talking, I talked to actors every other week and all, and I was chatting to them about different ways they spent lockdown, either reading scripts or zoom things or just mm. doing nothing at all. You uh, went back into healthcare for a while and, and put back on your nurse's uniform for want of a better phrase. Yeah. I put on my, my NASA spacesuit and my goggles and my mask and my footsies and my, like it was petrifying. I mean, I'm, I'm not playing any fiddle. The, my instinct there is it's my job and I could mm-hmm. help. So I did. And occasionally I'll dip back in and out of it. It's a handy sure. tool to have. At that time, I mean, we were seeing what was happening in, in Italy on the streets with these trucks and these bodies. And it was absolutely, you know, there was a revulsion to it and, and, a, and a desperate need to help in any way. It's any any medic, any healthcare professional will tell you as much as they want to walk past an accident, they're compelled to stop. And it's that sense of... I can help, I can do something. And so I, I went to work and did my job. It's no more than that and no more than all of my colleagues, you know, and, and hats off to them. And some of them are still doing it. So it's it's no no biggie. I, okay. I did my job and well, I was ha- to do it. 
hats off to you for that. Listen, finally then, uh, so I've seen on Twitter you're reading scripts and stuff. So what are you up to now? So currently I'm in uh, my flat in Cork and I'm uh, prepping for tomorrow's filming. I'm working on um, holding which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm having a fabulous time. And um, yeah, I've been working. I've done a few projects. Uh, um, Wolf, a film I did last year with Natalie Biancheri and Jesse Fisk, uh, starring the the brilliant George McKay. That's gone to Toronto. And uh, um, so that's very exciting. I just had a lovely little part on that. And um, I did a couple of other bits and pieces uh, um in the pipeline thank god yeah it's it's i mean in this day and age were any of us lucky to be working absolutely on a covid free set and and having a ball into the bargain so the type of profession that could come and go at any minute so yeah. i'm grabbing fast to the coattails while i can join you're doing great and your success is richly deserved. It all started in a pub in Meath and uh, we wish you every success. Her favourite movie is The Lives of Others. Helen Behan, thank you very much. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. Helen Behan there talking to me about her favourite movie and she is a wonderful actress and I can't wait to see what we see of her next. That's it for this week. Thanks to Anne-Marie Kane who helped out on the show loads of stuff next week and the week after the stuff is never ending in this show there will be more stuff to come and we will be reviewing Bond next week Uh, Mark Ryle and I are going along to see it early in the week so more of that next week just remind you this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk If you want to get in touch with me at any stage during the week, John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. Have a good week and I'll talk to you all next week.